Hebrews chapter 4, if you have your Bibles this evening, Hebrews chapter 4. Again, appreciate everyone who fasted and prayed with us. We're believing God for great things. Uh, I came across this article, and it was kind of fascinating to me in our day, and it was the thought of moral relativism. And that is the idea that there are no absolute rules to be determined whatever right is right, what is right or wrong. Unlike moral absolutes, moral relativism argues that good and bad are relative concepts. And whatever someone is considered right or wrong can change depending on opinion, social context, culture, or a number of other factors. Moral relativists argue that there is more than one valid moral system. A quick glance around the world and throughout history will reveal that no matter what happens, people believe something is morally right or wrong. There's at least one person or one culture that believes differently and holds to their beliefs with as much conviction as you do. We live in a day of moral relativism. That basically that means if you feel that this is right, then it's right. If you feel that this is wrong, then it's wrong. If you want to say, I can do this because that's my legal right, doesn't matter if someone else says you can't. We have this great divide in America right now. Moral relativism rules change with circumstances. Moral relativism means that I can accuse someone of doing wrong, even though I may be doing the same thing, but I can justify it because my circumstances or my social status is different. This is the world that we live in and have to navigate through. But thank God we have a moral standard. We have something that tells us what is right and what is wrong. So I want to talk to you about alive and powerful out of Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 12 and just going on through verse 13. It says, For the word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, cutting between the soul and the spirit, between joints and marrow, and it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one whom we are accountable. Let's talk firstly about this book. This is an amazing book. It's not just a book. It's the book. I I think I've shared this before, but my sister-in-law said to me one time, she said, well, smoking marijuana is okay in my book. And I said, well, in the book, it's actually not. Pharmacia, which is called witchcraft. This book is amazing. Written over 1,600 years. It has over 40 authors. 
It has 66 individual books in it. Some of them were divided simply because of time, such as 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, and 2 Kings. It was written not only in the nation of Israel, but it was written, some of it was written in Africa, some of it was written in other parts of Asia, some of it was written in Europe. It was written in times of war, in times of peace. It was written in palaces and in dungeons. It was written by the educated. It was written by the rich. It was written by the poor. And it was written by the simple. We have blessed by what God has given to you and I. You know, in 1229... The Council of Toulouse in France strictly forbidden lay people from owning a Bible. It's punishable by imprisonment if you owned a Bible. It was in 1522 that Martin Luther translated and published the New Testament into German the first time uh, it had been tried in 1516 by a man named Hermias, and he took a lot of that, but he printed it into now the language of the people. It had been locked up for 1,500 years in Latin and in Greek and in Hebrew that you and I and most people of the world do not speak. It was in 1524 that Baumgard printed the second edition of the Gospels. It was in 1525 that William Tyndale produced and mass-produced the first English translation of the New Testament. It was in 1530 that the French Jacques La, uh, the, the Staple completed the entire book, New Testament and Old Testament, into French. These men would suffer. Martin Luther would be excommunicated. Tyndale would be condemned as a heretic, strangled and burned at the stake. But it was William Tyndale's version that greatly influenced the 1604 commission by the King of England, which was not finished until 1611 under a different king, King James, and commissioned that that now a book, the Bible, was now printed in English. This book has gone through a lot that you and I can hold it in our hands or have it on our iPads or phones or whatever you have it on. And yet, people have disdain for what is said in it, even in churches. Some people think hearing is just enough. That is, if I just hear the Word of God, if I just hear what God has to say, if I just read occasionally, I'm okay. James says, These words in chapter 1, verses 22 through 25, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourself. For if you listen to the words and don't obey, it is like glancing at at your face in a mirror. You see yourself and walk away and forget what you look like. 
But if we are carefully look into the perfect law that sets us free, if you do what it says and don't forget what you've heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Barnes, Albert Barnes writes of this scripture, he says, the nature of this deception was that they could imagine that hearing was all that was required. Whereas the main thing that they should be obedient. If a man supposes to merely be punctual attendance on preaching, have a respectful attention, he has done all that is required of him. He is laboring under a gross self-deception. Yet there are multitudes who seem to imagine that they have done all that is demanded when they have heard attentively the word preached. On this influence on their lives, it claims no obedience, and it is utterly useless. That's what he says of that scripture that James says. He says that all that we've gone through to get this book, and then we don't have any regard for it. Jesus said it this way, Matthew chapter 7, 24 through 27, if anyone listens to my teaching and follows them, he is a wise person who builds his house on a rock, solid rock. And though the rains come in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the wind beats against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on a bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and does not obey it is a foolish person who builds their house on a sand. And when the rains and floods come and the wind beats against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Jesus is saying here that just hearing the word, just knowing a little scripture isn't going to be enough. That religious activity, this is the generation we live in, religious activity. God tells Ezekiel in Ezekiel 33, he says, son of man, talk to your people about, uh, son of man, your people talk about you in their houses and whisper about you in the doors. They say to each other, come, let us go hear a prophet that will tell us what the Lord is saying. So my people come pretending to be sincere and sit before you and listen to your words, but have no intention of doing what you say. They are mouthfuls of lustful words. Uh, they seek, uh, uh, their hearts seek only after money. You are very entertaining to them, but like someone who sings a lovely song with a beautiful voice and plays a fine musical instrument, they hear what you say, but they don't act on it. They, but they all, uh, when all these terrible things happen to them, they, as they certainly will, they will know a prophet has been among them. And today we have mega churches uh, that fill tens uh, of thousands of people and they they tell people simply what they want to hear. Uh, some have done away with hell. Uh, others won't preach on issues of morals uh, or tithing because that might offend people. People might leave. So let's not do that. Let's just tell them that your best life is now. Let's just smile a lot and have them feel warm and fuzzy on their way to destruction. Second Peter, I'm sorry, Second Timothy rather, Paul writes and says, For the time will come where they will no longer listen to sound, wholesome teaching, but they will follow their own desires and look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject truth 
and tra- chase after myths. See, my confidence is in this book. That's the book we have to know. Our text says that the Word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword cutting between spirit and soul, between joints and marrow, and exposing the innermost thoughts and desires. The Word of God needs to be alive to you and relevant. It needs to be something that you're searching out. Billy Sunday, the famous baseball player who was converted and became a preacher, he said, I'm a Christian because God says so. And I did what he told me to do. And I stand on God's word. And if the book goes down, then I'll go down with it. He says, this is it. It's alive to me. Jesus said in Mark chapter 13, verse 31, heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. I was thinking about that. That's, that's 2,000 years ago. Kingdoms have come and gone. Reigning rules of, of Rome and, uh, you know, uh, powers that to be that have risen and diminished. The sun never set on the British Empire and all of this, the rise of, of communism and the third rise and all of these kinds of, and they're all gone, all gone. God's word still stands. Communism is an ism. It's a, it's a religious belief. And it's failed. We're ever going to understand the power. Is this book alive to you? Let's just ask the simple question. When's the last time you read it? How much of it did you read last year? How often did you read it last year? If it's alive to you, then it's something you can't put down. First Peter, or Second Peter, I'm sorry, chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from a prophet's own understanding or out of human initiative. No, these prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. Is this the Word of God? There are people who are into relative theology who will tell you it contains the Word of God, but it's not the Word of God. What that means is there's some real good ideas in this book that you can get that would show you how to live, kind of. But it doesn't put a demand on your life because if you don't like it, you say, well... I've I've told all sorts of things. You know, Paul was a drunkard and a Christian killer. How could he possibly have written? Like, I guess you don't understand transformation. Well, you know, yeah, I only, you know, the Gospels alone or some other nonsense like that. But is it alive? Does it speak to you? Can you read this in the morning, in the evening? And have words jump out at you. As the Prince of Preachers 
Mr. Spurgeon, who said that sin will keep you from the Word of God, or the Word of God will keep you from sin. That this book is far more powerful. James 1 and verse 18 says that he chose to birth us by giving us his true word. And that we out of all of creation became his prized possession. You know what? When I would say the word of God speaks in Lithuania, I had a woman in the church, very religious woman, who got mad at me. And that's not the proper way to say it. It's literature. You should say, it is written in the Word of God. Okay, I can go with that. But you know what? The Word of God is alive to me. It speaks to me. It speaks. When I read it, it speaks to me. It's not just ink on paper. It's not just Shakespeare. I was listening to a podcast recently on Shakespeare on how many expressions we get from William Shakespeare in in the English language. It's an incredible amount from a pound of flesh to, uh, um, you know, Romeo and Juliet's quotes and all, uh, all of these came out of his writings. Fascinating to me. But you know, the King James Version has more. At the 400th anniversary of the King James, Time Magazine actually did a whole article on how many isms or expressions, idioms and expressions we get out of the King James Bible. And it was absolutely amazing how many there were. She was mad because I wouldn't say it is written. I kept saying the Word of God says. The Word of God speaks. So that's not proper. It's not literature. God's Word. Our text says that it's powerful, or some translations use the word mighty. Albert Barnes says again, it is the power that is seen in awakening the conscience, alarming the fears, laying bare the secret feelings of the heart, and causing the sinner to tremble with apprehension for the coming judgment. There isn't words like that that will change your life from any other book, any TED Talk, or any other kind of uh, expression of things that may be true, but it's not truth. It's not God's truth. Romans 10, verse 17, so faith comes by hearing, and that is hearing the good news about Jesus Christ. That as we hear, it's got to be more than just religious. There's something that should come alive with faith in our lives. Something that happens to our hearts. Not just, or Paul says, my my speech and my preaching were not enticing words with man's wisdom, but in a demonstration of the power of God, that your faith would not be in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. Psalms 119, verse 130, the teaching of your word gives light, so even the simple can understand it. It's amazing. People will use the excuse, well, I don't understand everything, so therefore I can't read it. It's confusing. 
all the these and the that, then don't read the King James Version. There's lots of other versions. I like the New Living Version. I have done some research on that, and it's actually a very good modern translation of it. I still study based on King James, because that's where a lot of the good study books are based out of. But to present it, if I can, there's a few translations, a few scriptures where I've had to go, "Mm, no. Like Sunday morning sermon, this kind doesn't come out by prayer and fasting is omitted out of a lot of translations, including the New King James. I'm sorry, not the New King James, the New Living. You'll understand more, though. Just get a version you can understand. And read it. There are weaker versions and better versions, and, you know, the NIV is a weaker version, but if that's what you can understand, read it. God will speak to you. It's amazing that when Jesus is tempted in Luke chapter 4, The Bible says that the devil comes to him, the tempter comes to him, and he's trying to get him to sin, because if he can get him to sin, the whole plan is shot. We're all going to hell. There's no hope for us. And so he comes and tempts him, and there's the three temptations, and I won't go into all of that with the rocks and the throw yourself off and just fall down where I'll give it all, whatever. But three times, Jesus' response is, the scripture says. Three times, that's how he gets, no, devil, the scripture says. But I want to do, the scripture says. But you could have, the scripture says. What does the word of God say? And he finally ends this, he says it's sharper than any two-edged sword, that the word of God is a piercing. Gets into separating joints and marrow and these thoughts there of joints and marrow and, you know, it's, it's, it's inner, it's way inner. Your marrow is pretty much as in as you can get. It's inside your bones, it's inner. It's in. The thoughts and the motives, we'll touch on that in just a minute. But what, you know, it deals and cuts us, convicts us. I'm glad conviction is a blessing. It's God saying, don't be foolish. I want to help you. And he'll convict your heart and he'll deal with your heart and the word of God will expose that. For those of you going to conference, you're going to hear sermons and it's going to be like, did someone tell them? Did my wife? Did my husband? Who told them? Revelation 19.15 And from his mouth, this is Jesus returning to earth with us behind him, from his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release them with a fury, the wrath of God, the Almighty, like juices flowing from winepress. Jesus' tongue is described as a two-edged sword. This is the only defense we have in the 
armor of God. Ephesians 6, putting on the helmet of your salvation and taking up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That this is powerful. It defends us against the enemy, the attacks and the assaults of hell. And they come. They come. And we need something to be able to fight back. And if you can't stand on the word of God, then the devil will get you to jump off a pillar. Or get you to bow down and worship him in compromise so that you can have the kingdoms of the world. You know, you're hungry. Jesus was fasting for 40 days. Just speak these words into, you know, these rocks into bread. Second Peter, I'm sorry, Second Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching us what is true and making us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do right. God uses it to, pe- to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. You want to know what's right and wrong? It's in, this pa- in, these, in these pages. You want what's good for your life? It's in these pages. It may not have an answer for your direct circumstances, but it has an answer that if you apply it, can be found to help your direct circumstances. It says that everything is naked and nothing is hidden. Verse 13, nothing in all of creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one whom we are accountable. Literally, the thought there of being Naked and exposed is not having no clothes on. It's literally the thought of having your chin put back and ready to have your throat slit. It's actually the term here of being laid bare. It's a victim exposed for the sacrifice. The Greek in its, the verbiage here is actually in the perfect present tense which simply implies that it's continuous. It's not just a one-off. It's a continuous state that we are offering ourselves up as a sacrifice to the living God. It says in our text that God will divide your motives and your actions. He not only looks through the word of God at what you did, but he looks at why you did it. It's revealing the hearts of men and women. What is in the very core of us? We're all laid open before the word of God. And either you'll hear it, and you'll respond, Or you'll hear it and try to change it. Because you've got to do one of the two. Pastor Joe Campbell, and I almost pulled a Pastor Joe Campbell by putting the Bible here and keep pointing at it, because that's what he would have done. The Word of God. 
But Pastor Joe Campbell has famously quoted the statement that you will create a doctrine so you can live with yourself. But does that doctrine line up with this book? Job 34.21, for God watches how his people live. He sees everything they do. So you want to know what's acceptable? It's in here. What we should do and what we shouldn't do. Ah, Christianity is just full of rules. No. If your Christianity is just full of rules, then you serve a concept. But I serve a Christ that I want to please. And I'd like to get to know what would make him happier. We have to give an account. Romans 14, 10 through 12. So why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For the scripture says, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me. Every tongue will declare allegiance to God. Yes, every one of us will give a personal account to God. He's bringing this home that you and I are going to stand. And the judgment isn't going to be, well, I felt or my circumstances, I really didn't think I could do. It's going to be based on this book. Did you do what's in this book? Did you, know, did you do what you shouldn't do from this book? That's the standard. 1 Peter 4, 5, but remember... They will have to face God who stands ready to judge everyone, both the living and the dead. And on that day, moral relativism isn't going to work. Let's talk finally about aligning yourself with the Word of God. This is the gift of repentance. God gives us the opportunity that when we're not doing right or doing something we shouldn't be doing, we can now make it right. That's a gift of repentance. That's a blessing of life. That you and I can come to God and recalibrate our lives. Right after the Titanic sunk in 1914, the United States Congress was actually considering what had happened, and then another national tragedy happened in the nautical realm. It was January, a thick fog off the Virginia coast. The steamship Monroe was ran by a merchant ship, Nantucket, and eventually sank. Forty-one sailors lost their lives in the frigid waters of the Atlantic. Well, the captain of the Nantucket was arraigned on charges and the captain of the uh, Monroe was grilled over and over, lasting five hours on the stand after cross-examination. The New York Times reported that Captain Jones navigated the Monroe with a steering compass that had deviated as much as two degrees from the standard magnetic compass. The instrument was sufficient to run a ship 
that was custom to to sight and coast and could make adjustments, but in the fog, it was not. He was steering a compass that had not been adjusted for more than a year. Out of that, there were maritime laws. The New York Times later said the two captains met, collapsed, sobbed on each other's shoulders, memorializing the the 41 men, rather, who had lost their lives. They crashed because they didn't recalibrate. The Word of God is our calibration. The Word of God is what sets our hearts back. We drift. Some of of us get far more than two degrees off. The Word of God gets us back. It's the Word of God. I close with this illustration, personal. Pastor Nigel Brown, our leader in England, London, had a man leave the fellowship in rebellion, a man who thought very, very, very highly of himself. And every once in a while, he puts out an email. And when he left the fellowship, I was pastoring in Ireland and got on the British mailing, uh, email mailing list that he now sends out his slime. I got really frustrated with him a couple of years ago. He sent out one accusing Pastor Mitchell of this and Pastor that, whatever, you know, whatever. And I fired back. I said, you know what's very interesting, brother? You did not quote one scripture. You say, oh, they lie, or they do this, or they do that. Not one scripture. Not one time did he mention a word. And I I said, so let me give you a few. (laughs) And I did. And he went quiet for many years. The word of God is our calibration. The word, this book, is what we have to stand on. You know, the Muslims and their Koran, they won't put anything on top of this. If it's home, on a bookshelf, nothing goes on top of it, of the Koran. It's a little weird. But they have respect for it. Do we? For the word of God? our heads for just a moment. Again, I appreciate everyone who's fasted and prayed. The reason I preached on this at the end of a fast is because this is what we need. It's just not a three-day event. Oh, good, I was spiritual for a little while. Now I'm done. But the calibration of daily, just having a daily plan to read your Bible, even if it's just one chapter. You don't have to read the whole book in a year if that's not something you're able to do.
But it is something you should commit to at least a little bit. There's plenty of Bible reading programs out there that you can find that will work at your pace. Get you through the Word of God. I'm not a good reader. Well, then download the Gideon app and listen to it. There's all sorts of opportunities for the Word of God to help us. You know, before I was a Christian, Jesus and the Word of God, I tried to read the Bible a couple of times. I would give up very quickly and just go watch television. It, did, it wasn't alive. It, wasn't, it didn't mean much. It was ink on paper. It was literature. I, I wasn't into literature. But then I met the author. Then I came to a place where Jesus Christ came into my heart and he changed me. Touched my life. And now the word of God is alive. Do I understand everything of it? Not a chance. Some are great mysteries. But I do know that that which I read, God will speak to me out of. God is faithful. And that if we'll commit, not just, I did my three-day spiritual thing, now I'm set. But to commit to a life that is pleasing to God, His Word is powerful, alive, and will help us. And if you don't know the author tonight, if you're not saved or you're backslidden, Christ is giving you an opportunity to come and receive the forgiveness that he speaks of through the blood that he shed. And if you're not right with God, and I wonder if you'd slip up your hand and say, would you pray for me? Pray for me this night. I need to get my heart right with God. I'm not saved. I'm backslidden. Away from God. I need to get my heart right with Jesus. Very quickly, slip up your hand. Put it right back down. Praise God. Then at the end of this fast, and again, I appreciate everyone who's prayed and fasted. Tremendous blessing and presence of God in our fasts, prayer meetings. But as we're crossing the threshold, it's only January 4th. Can you commit to the Word of God this year? And you don't have to read the whole book this year. I'm not saying you have, but you can read something. Even if it's just one chapter, even if it's just the New Testament, you can do that. I think if you read the New Testament, you only have to read a chapter a day. You'll finish the New Testament in a year. That kind of commitment to know what this book says. Let it be alive in your heart, in your mind. Let's stand just and open up these altars. Make a commitment to the Word of God this evening. This is my desire. And Lord, with all my heart, 
take every moment I'm awake Lord have your way in me this is my desire this is my desire 